This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey, all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, Shelby. Hey, Austin. How's it going? It's going. You ready to talk about some Dragon Age? Um, yeah, I am. Didn't sound too confident there. I just wanted to throw you off. Okay. Every week you'll throw me off here. You'll throw me off in the Assassin's Creed podcast. It'll just be me being thrown off. It's nothing new. Yes. All right. So we are continuing our faction episodes. So who are we talking about today? Well, if you've been following along, you will notice we started with Templars and then transitioned into the Chantry and Mages. And we have been transitioning into um, some mercenary and um, like bounty hunter type uh, factions. So if you've been paying attention last week, last week, our episode was about Sarah. And so this week we're talking about the friends of Red Jenny. So, you ready for these fun facts? I mean, you are the one that should be getting ready for the fun facts. I guess that's true. (laughs) So, yeah, today we're talking about the Friends of Red Jenny, and they are really an enigmatic and eccentric group, two E-words, that we first meet in Origins, the first game. Specifically, we meet them in Dinnerum. And you might be thinking when I say that, Shelby, we first meet them in Inquisition with Sarah, and we do meet them there with her, but if you've played all the games, you actually have opportunities to meet them in every single game. I think that makes them a pretty important faction. I mean, let's think about other factions we see in every game. Like, we see Grey Wardens, we see Mages and Templars and Chantry uh, brothers and sisters in every game, of course. We also encounter the Carta in every game. The Crows. Do we encounter them in Inquisition? Uh, War Table operations. Okay, but excluding the War Table, like in the actual quests of the game, I don't think we do. 
No, probably not like in person, like the Inquisitor themselves. No, I don't think so. And I'm sure there are a few more that we're just forgetting out there. But so there's it's not like there's a ton of them, you know, so I think that makes the Reginis pretty interesting. And I do think that with Inquisition, um, the Reginis got a more forefront look. So who knows what they'll do with the Reginis in DA4. I'm interested to see, but let's get back to our fun facts for a minute. Okay. So I got sidetracked. Like I haven't even told you my first fun fact. Um, but my first fun fact is that even though we meet them in Denerim specifically, they're present in every country in Thetis. Importance. So essentially they're a secret society and they perform all kinds of things. They uh, perform elaborate schemes, ruses, and pranks like we know Sarah to do, but they also participate in thievery and assassinations and all kinds of like crime things. Their, their actions are very wide. Um, they, they do a variety of actions, but what unites them is that their targets They target specifically wealthy and upper class individuals who exploit the poor. I am down with the Red Jennies all day, every day. Yeah, they're my kind of organization. They remind me of, so you haven't played this game, but in the Elder Scrolls Oblivion, the way the Thieves Guild operates in there, it's like they have all these tenets. And one of those tenets is don't take from those who don't have. Mm. Uh, um, so like don't rob from the poor don't steal from the poor because they're our helpers and our partners yeah absolutely and i think i think the red jennies would agree to that as well um so my next fun fact is actually a crossover between mass effect and dragon age which we're totally going to do an episode about crossovers between mass effect and dragon age someday mm-hmm. um, but anyway that's off topic so in mass effect Three, in the Citadel DLC, there is a sign floating in the air over a chasm, because of course, and the sign says Red Janie. I think it's a reference. People on the internet are divided, but I think it's a reference to the Red Janie. I mean, it's probably is because Bioware really likes that, especially between Mass Effect and dragon age of just like very subtle things like the krogan heads on the wall or the ogre in kasumi's dlc like Mm -hmm. they they really like to do that so i would be very surprised if that wasn't the intention of kind of calling out there but like that's that's also like how you do easter eggs like you think about in Indiana Jones, there's like an Obi-Wan uh, cafe or whatever. And there's other things like that, like callbacks to the director's other works and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Well, you know what my favorite Mass Effect Dragon Age crossover is, right? Do you know what it is? No, I don't. Okay. So we talked about this in our Varric episode, but, and I can't remember if it's at the end of ME3 or Andromeda, but at the end of one of the Mass Effect games, if you like go back into like the game like the loading screen and like go into your game um and go back to your home base or whatever you can find a codex entry journal um uh, and it's of like some person who's writing this journal as if it's a journal of your story that you've played through the game and there's a inscription that that basically says something like 
that's an interesting story. I'd love to tell it someday. And then it's initialed VT. Ah, that's good. So anyway, let's get back to the Red Jennies. Each group of the Red Jennies is different according to their own location, their own context, their own people, and the own, their own people that they serve and their own people um, that, that they attack. So each group is different. There's no like hierarchical leadership. There's no like president. There's, there's no person at the top um, who tells all the Red Genies what to do. Like this is a very um, equitable organization. Like they all work together and they're all different. And that's important because we'll talk about um, their structure in a minute. So those are my, those are all my fun facts. Yeah, those are real fun. So uh, are we going to, well, I guess since they don't have a structure, I guess we're going to background? No, well, I can say a little something about their structure. So their structure is intentionally non-existent. So normally when we have nothing to say about the structure, it's because we don't know. But we can't say that this time because we do know. It's going to be short, but they are intentionally not creating a structure. They don't want to recreate like oppressive and unjust systems of power that hurt other people. So they are trying to stay away from recreating those systems within their own organization. Um, so they don't have a structure because of that. Normally we say we don't know anything about their structure, but in this case, what we know about their structure is that they don't have one because they don't want one and that's that's a that's a difference that's a slight difference yeah that is a big difference so background sure all right okay so a lot of what we know about the history and the background of the red jennies doesn't come from the red jennies a lot of it most of it actually comes from the antiven crows which is surprising because you might be thinking shelby Aren't the Antiven Crows a competitor of the Red Jennies? And if you were thinking that, you would be absolutely correct. And so the reason why most of the history that we know of, of the Red Jennies, why it comes from the Crows is because they started an investigation into the history of the Friends of Red Jenny because they were such a competitor to the Crows. The Crows kind of corner the market on like, assassin guilds in Thetis. And so when, when the Red Jennies are, you know, giving them a run for their money out there, they want to know what's up with this group, right? So a lot of the history that we know of comes from the crows. And so what they, they learned a few things about the Red Jennies and they revealed that the group started as an organization of assassins in Ferelden. So it starts in Ferelden at least, if not more than a hundred years ago. Wow. The group was originally a very, very small group of people with very little money and very little financial resources whatsoever. So they made a habit of disguising themselves as street urchins in order to get weapons and then plant weapons or evidence to spy on their marks and then they get their information that they would presumably sell or use or whatever. And they were also specifically a local organization in Ferelden. They started as a Ferelden based institution. 
they did not really compete with the larger guilds like the crows or at least they thought they didn't but you know when you have any upcoming group like this the crows are going to be looking out for potential competitors so i want to go back to the ferelden thing for a bit because they specifically start as an outgrowth of people in ferelden and i think that's really interesting because i think ferelden and maybe the free marches are the two countries that have the specific cultural belief systems that would allow a movement like the Red Jennies to grow and even exist in the first place. Both Ferelden's and free marchers are both both are both very concerned with freedom and autonomy and personal choice. And they don't want anybody to tell another person what to do, right? Like if, if you're a Ferelden, you would never let an Orlesian tell you what to do. Like that's just the antithesis of your character and your culture. So I don't think that a group like the Friends of Red Jenny could really gain traction and momentum in Orle or Novara or even Tevinter especially. Now that's not to say that individuals in those countries could not believe the same things as the Reginis believe. I absolutely think that there are and have been people who do, but I don't think a movement like the Friends of Regini would gain as much traction and movement and grow into an actual organization and movement in anywhere else besides Ferelden and potentially the Free Marches. What do you think? I think that's a good point. Um, I think that where it kind of comes in for me at this is that Ferelden is the perfect place because Ferelden has such a long history of resisting oppressive instruments of political power. Like mm-hmm. Adraste is Ferelden. She is from Denerim, um, or the area around Denerim. And so she leads this rebellion against Tevinter. They have wars with Orle. They don't want interference. They don't want, even nobles in their system don't want to be told what to do by the nobles that are technically above them. Mm-hmm. Like even like an Arl in trying to think of a random name doesn't want, you know, the turn of High Ever to tell them what to do. Right, like, okay, so... Arl Eamon would never let um, Taryn Kuzland tell him what to do just because the Taryn technically outranks him. Like he just wouldn't, he just wouldn't. And we know that because we know those two characters a little bit. So I agree with you. And another thing I, I forgot is that we also have to remember that Ferelden's history with especially Orlesians um, and people of this like upper crust society, like Ferelden's hate Orle still today, years after the occupation um, of Ferelden even ended. So yeah, we have to remember that this is very ingrained into their culture. And if, if the Red Jenny started around 100 years ago, I mean, that's really in the era of when Orle is trying to and continually tries to conquer Ferelden. And so I think, I think that that's a significant point for sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so moving on just a little bit. Um, the, interestingly, the name Red Jenny is 
a name that's much older than the organization. And unfortunately, we don't know a lot more um, about that history other than the statement. But it's interesting to me that they would potentially latch on to a name that has like renown um, in order to help their movement. I think that's really interesting. I agree. Well, and it's just really interested to want to know the history because like the whole idea of their organization is if you get caught and you're asking who you work for, you can just say, well, I'm a friend of Red Jenny. Like, mm-hmm. and like maybe some people will know that, but like there's like an elusive Red Jenny. And we know from like an objective perspective, like there is no Red Jenny. Like there is no leader of this mm-hmm. organization, but Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think, I think they do that. They obviously do that on purpose, but it also helps them like have no history, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it very much reminds me of Game of Thrones with Arya and all the face faces. I don't remember what they're called. The what faceless called? men. Yeah. It reminds me of that because it's like, you could be anyone, you could be anywhere, you could be doing anything. And there's the potential for it not to get back to you for it not to get back to your organization. And even if it does, that doesn't mean they know who you are still. So I, I think it's a very ingenious way to run um, like a thieves guild. It, it is mm-hmm. very smart. Whoever's idea this was is a genius. Okay, so my last little bit about the history is this. The Friends of Red Jenny became a lot more active after the Fifth Blight. Um, And in this time, they had lost several, a lot of their members. Um, But they began to really expand their influence. And they reached out and expanded their influence with other Jenny groups in Val Royale and Kirkwall. And we'll get into a little bit about who those people are later. And they kind of changed the way they operate. So until this point, they were previously mostly assassins, if not only assassins. So after the Fifth Blight, they kind of stepped back from this a little bit. Um, They're not, not solely focused on assassinations anymore. They're also like messing with the nobles. They're also doing all kinds of things that would undermine people in power. So they're not just assassinating. They're doing all kinds of other stuff. And I think a lot of this comes from Sarah's influence, although that's totally unconfirmed. That's just my own opinion. But Sarah, before she came to the Inquisition, she appeared at least to uh, have gained seniority in the Red Jennies, especially at a very young age. I mean, she's 19-ish in Inquisition. And at that time, when we meet her, she's already kind of holding this role of seniority in the Red Jennies. That's pretty significant, I think. And her group, specifically her group in Val Royale, gained so much notoriety that they didn't even need to act to be credited with the outcome. Hmm. So people would just give them credit for like crimes that were committed. Um, without them even having to claim it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's a testament to, to her leadership in this group. I mean, I think a lot of people want to look at Sarah as like their annoying little brother or sister. But in reality, Sarah is a good leader of people that she shares that that bond with, I think. So 
it goes to show that like the characters of the Inquisition party all have like these big stakes of influence in their respective organizations, except maybe like Blackwall might be one of the only exceptions mm-hmm. to party members. Blackwall and Cole, but like Cole's a spirit, so like does that really count? Um, right. And to be fair, uh, the Inquisition thought Blackwall would would have influence right. with the right. warden. Right. Um, and so that's just like there, like Sarah, each party member brings their own use to the Inquisition on mm-hmm. a like grander scale than just being someone to pal around with the Inquisitor. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Even though most of the companions can be that pal around with the Inquisitor kind of role, you're right. They all have, they, they have all had significant accomplishments and achievements and we cannot say the same about origins and dragon age 2 i mean look at ogren ogren ogren's life is the opposite of a significant achievement i mean no offense to the ogren stands out there but like he his whole life has been a downward slope instead of an upward slope alistair is so and alistair is so young he's barely accomplished anything stin is in the same boat as ogren like his life has been a downhill slope of achievements up to the point of origins where he loses his sword he loses who he is under the cune and has to rebuild himself like you know there's all these characters that their life is kind of in shambles look at dragon age 2 with anders having to hide out he's an abomination he's having to hide out in the worst place in kirkwall look at isabella on the run as usual afraid of the cune i mean there's so many characters in these games the first two that have just made the worst decisions and are kind of at rock bottom but in inquisition it's a little bit different. You have these characters who have made really significant accomplishments and achievements who are, are kind of at the height of their power. Um, and that's a real big change. That's a real big change that I've never really noticed until now. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense story-wise. The Inquisitor would Absolutely. be looking for individuals who could bring skills or assets or benefits to you. But. 100%. 100%. Well, would now be a good time for a break? I think so. So let's go to our break and we'll come back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this. I'm listening. Ah, you've returned. A letter arrived for you. All right. So, welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things regarding the podcast that don't have to do with the lore, a little housekeeping, a little bit of this. And so the first thing I want to let you know about is if you'd like to support us, we do have a Patreon. You can find the link in the episode description. You could go there, click, sign up. There are different tiers with different benefits. And we actually have a change coming to uh, our Patreon and the tier system. And so Shelby's going to tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I am. But first I'm going to thank our patrons um, oh. because they are the reason, one of the reasons that uh, keeps the show going. So our patrons are Lisa M, Genesis, Derek B, Fletcher M, and Zuba. Thank you all so much for being our patrons and supporting us. We love it and we love y'all. So here are some changes to our patron structure. First, I just want to say that we're so super thankful to y'all um, and to anyone out there who is thinking about becoming our patron. We're thankful for you too. We want our Patreon to give you the best rewards that you can imagine. And we feel like the current structure could be a little bit better. So we're changing it a bit. And this update will primarily affect tiers three and up, even though all of the tiers will be affected, but those tier three and up will be the ones that have the biggest changes. So this update will go live on April 15th, which is today. Changes to the tier structure, again, primarily affect tier three. So tier three patrons and up will now be able to join us once per month on the show for a topic that patrons vote on. I'm going to say that one more time. Tier three patrons and higher, and that's starting at $20 per month. I think it's a pretty great deal. Will now be able to join us once per month on the show for a topic that the patrons vote on. So that means you'll get to come on this podcast and hang out with us and talk about Dragon Age lore. And that's awesome. I can't wait to, to have y'all join us. Um, so the patron episodes will now be recorded on the first Thursday of every month um, at a time to be determined. And the patron episode will be released on the second Thursday of each month. Patrons who subscribe through the last day of the previous month will be allowed to join us. So for example, this, this, this first patron episode will go live in May. So if you are a tier three subscriber and actually let me back up. If you're a person who has not subscribed to our Patreon yet and you go in on April 30th and subscribe to our Patreon and we get notified about it, you can join us on that first Thursday in May on a Zoom call to record our patron episode. And that episode will go live on the second Thursday in May to everybody. That's kind of how it is going to work. And it'll be every month on that first Thursday. And that will be our one of our patron rewards at that tier. So this does mean that our current bonus episodes that we give out monthly are going to end. And you'll still get that bonus content. If you're already subscribing, you'll still get that bonus content for March and April. And we're, we're a little bit behind on Marches, but it is coming out soon. Um, so those episodes will end. April will be the last of the bonus episodes. So your reward is now coming on the show and patrons, all of your other rewards will still be intact. Nothing else is going to change except for the patron episode. Um, you'll still receive content early. The discord will still be around 
all of this. You'll still be able to, to give us side character suggestions and all of that. Um, so that's a little bit about our changes. Um, it's kind of a lot. So if you're confused and you are a current patron, feel free to DM us, give us um, a holler on the discord or, or on Twitter or wherever. Um, and you can reach either me or teacup there. Yes, yes. Um, and if you cannot support us on Patreon, we totally understand that's totally okay. Um, one great way to support us is to either A, tell your friends about us. If you like our podcast and you have a friend who you think would like it, tell them to listen and give us a listen. Spread us by word of mouth. Um, the other way is to go into Apple or Spotify and leave us a review there. Um, if you leave a review in Apple where they let you write a review, uh, we'll read it on the show, a five-star review. We'll, we'll read it here on the show. Yeah, it's a great way to support the podcast. Um, and we are also still running our Show Us Your uh, Heroes, Hawks, and Heralds. And I believe we have one today, Shelby. We do. You want me to read it? Yeah. Okay. So our hawk today comes from one of our patrons, um, Derek B. And his hawk is named Amy and she is a rogue. And again, as all hawks, she and her family escaped the town of Lothering during the fifth blight. During the hawk exodus, Carver was killed and Bethany joined the family along with Aveline. When the tired and seasick Hawk family finally reached Kirkwall in hopes of a noble welcome, they found out the Amel name had fallen downhill due to Uncle Gamlin's poor financial decisions. So to pay entrance into the city, Amy, Bethany, and Aveline ended up working with a thinral. During those that year working with a thinral, Amy became a little pessimistic, purple Hawk, but often sided with her sister. When her servitude was up, Amy and Bethany sought out work all around the city, and they met Varric. Amy's search for jobs guided her to meet and eventually recruit others to join her, but that would change. One was an elven mage, Merrill, who Amy fell in love with. Following the Deep Roads expedition, Amy found out that Bethany was discovered by the Templars. Despite losing Bethany to the circle, Amy Hawk was now rich. More folk in Kirkwall looked to her for help, including Fainriel's mom. In the end, Fainriel went to Tevinter to study. Meanwhile, Kunari tensions in Kirkwall arose to bloodshed, and Amy defended the city. She and her companions fought their way to the keep, where the Arashog and Amy dueled since Isabella left with the tome. After saving Kirkwall from the Canari, Amy became known as the champion. And because of her status with the death of the Viscount, she became a neutral ground between the Templars and the mages. She often tried to stay neutral, working with both Orsino and Meredith, but Amy became enraged when the rebel mages and the Templars kidnapped her sister. And when the Chantry exploded, Amy had no choice but to side with her sister and Meryl. She was also surprised that Fenris joined her. As for Anders, he lied to Amy and killed innocence, so she killed him. Sounds very similar to my first playthrough. Yes, yes, it does. Um, well, Derek, thank you so much for sharing your hawk. We've also featured your uh, warden, so we will be waiting on your inquisitor. 
Yes, yes, we will. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to share your hero, Hawk, or Hel Herald with us, you can share it via the Discord. You can send them to us on Twitter. You can send them to us in an email if you prefer at dalorecast at gmail.com. Um, other than that, uh, I think that's all we have. Oh, wait, no, I do have one more thing. I have started a new podcast. Another one? Yeah, it just brings my total up to three. So if you don't know, I we have decided to host the Assassin's Creed lore cast. Um, you could find that release on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. But I've joined another uh, host, Ben of Tamaria from the Robots Radio uh, Discord. We've joined the Rocket Club to host a podcast called Holocron Histories, which will look at the kind of lore of Star Wars through the lens of legends versus canon. So we'll take a topic and we'll look at what the legends, like the old EU, the canon that Disney uh, threw out and what they have like replaced it with or amended or what they took from there, just kind of looking through it there. Our first episode is up on Apple and Spotify on the lightsaber. So you can go and give a listen to that if you love Star Wars. Yeah. And um, I know I'm biased, but I listened to the first episode and it was really good. I learned a lot about the lightsaber. And y'all referenced my favorite youngling ever, Gunji. Yes, yes. We all I love, love Gunji. No, I love him the most. Okay. <laughs> Shelby loves Gunji the most. You heard it here on the Dragon <laughs> Lorecast. <laughs> well, let's get back to our actual content. <laughs> all right, let's go. My friend. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. Okay, Shelby, so we've done background, we've done structure. Tell us a little bit about the Red Jennies. Not, I know I haven't experienced every instance of them in the games, if they, but they are in all three. Yeah, they are in all three. Um, so... In Origins, the Red Jennies order mercenaries, of course, to steal an item from First Enchanter Irving's quarters. At, of course, the Ferelden Circle of Magi Tower, also known as Kinlock Hold. That item and one of the letters to the mercenaries can be retrieved by the warden and then delivered to Denerum for a reward. When you go to Denerum, um, there's like a little back alley kind of close to the Wonders of Thetis shop um, that you can deliver it to. And then there's like a little red thing that appears on the door. So that's Origins. So in Dragon Age 2, after finishing all of the gang's side quests in two, which is the people that attack you at night incessantly, after you kill all of them and go to all of their hideouts, a friend will come up to you and inform Hawk that it was the friends of Red Jenny who provided the rewards for getting rid of all of the gangs in Kirkwall. And we don't know that person's actual name. They just identify themselves as a friend. <laughs> And then in Inquisition, um, Sarah, if the Inquisitor is willing, will draw them into multiple schemes of the Red Jennies. And of course, this is how uh, Sarah even joins her party in the first place. But I think most significantly is in Trespasser um, at the end, you can basically become part of the Red Jennies yourself. 
as the Inquisitor if your approval with Sarah is high enough. And we talked about that in last week's episode. So if you want more information, go back and re-listen to that one. And so that's, um, those are the main things that, that we see um, in the games with the Red Jennies. So who do we know as Jennies in the game? Right. So not a lot. Um, there's only three potentially named people that we know of as Red Jennies, but we also know of the Dinnerum contact and the friend. So those are the first two that we've already mentioned. And then the Inquisitor, of course, is three. Sarah is four. And then the only other one that we really know anything at all about is Sherrod Amel. And that makes number five. So Sherrod is actually our side character for today. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's learn about it. I'm excited, especially with the last name like Amel. Yeah. So you should be even more excited because this comes from Dragon Age 2 and that's your favorite game. Yeah. So do you not remember who Sherrod is? I don't. I think you finally found something in Dragon Age 2 that I haven't done. That's impossible. You're going to be like, in five minutes, once I get into this content, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I've done this before. I'm not so sure. Okay, well, today's side character is Sherrod Amel. She is the daughter of Gamlin Amel and Mara Hartling, whose mother was the Amel's family cook during Gamlin and Leandra's childhood. So Sherrod and Hawk are first cousins. So... According to the World of Thetis, Volume 2, Sherrod is not her birth name. She has deliberately had her her real name, her birth name, removed from any and all public records. She doesn't want people to know who her family is. She doesn't want people to know her last name. She doesn't, well, she doesn't want people to know her first name. She doesn't want people to know any of this, especially in her line of work. But I also think knowing who her family is, you know. So Sherrod was also unaware of her father's identity until her mother told her about Gamelin as her mother was dying. So Sherrod then sets out to meet Gamelin and plans to do this via an elaborate scheme, which is where we come in with Hawk. Hawk is recruited to help with this elaborate scheme, as you can guess, because Hawk is recruited to help with every elaborate scheme that ever exists in Kirkwall. So apparently Sherrod sends Gamlin a note that she has located something called the Gem of Karashek. And this is what Gamlin has basically wasted his life trying to find. This is why Gamlin spent all the family money. This is why he lost the house. This is why he lives in a hovel. This is why he has no money because he's searching or he was searching for this special gem. When Gamlin first gets the message, he ignores it completely. But of course, Hawk hears about it and pursues it with him. Hawk follows all the clues that are given and meets Sherrod. And you have the option at the end of the quest line to set up a meeting between Gamlin and Sherrod. Gamlin then tells you that he never even knew that Sherrod's mother was pregnant. And they begin what seems to be a promising father-daughter relationship. They promise to meet regularly. And Sherrod says that she wants to get to know Gamlin a little bit. And all of this can be done in a quest 
called Gamlin's Greatest Treasure. So let's hear about how she is involved with the Red Jennies a little bit. Okay. So Sherrod is a Red Jenny. Um, and she's based in the Free Marches. So she really seems to be the leader in the Free Marches as well. So that means we know that she's the leader in the Free Marches. Sarah is the leader in um, Orlay. And we know of a leader in Denerum and Ferelden, but we don't really know who that leader is. Right. So Sherrod is specifically located in the city of Tantervale. We talked about Tantervale a little bit in our Free Marches episode. So if you want more info on that, you can go back and listen to those. But unlike the rest of Hawk's family members, Sherrod's appearance is fixed and does not change to match Hawk's appearance at creation. Um, This is so interesting to me. I I can't decide if I think it's an oversight or they just added in that they would be related at the end, you know? Um, But anyway, they explain this appearance discrepancy when Gamlin thanks the maker that she got her mother's looks. That's funny. I know. And then the last, one of the last things I have to add about Sherrod is that she's named after her personality, hilarious, um, making a long game to get Gamlin's attention. I have never done this. Really? Okay. Okay. Well, you're going to have to. And it makes sense because I hate Gamlin. I think you may have to like talk to him one time at a certain level i don't know yeah i don't know i'll figure it out yeah um but the last thing i have to really say about her is that um she's also mentioned in dragon age inquisition um she's mentioned in the war table operations a trouble of red jenny's and red jenny and the tantervale charade Mm-hmm. Um, she obviously is an associate of Sarah and they do know each other. And that's about all I have about her. Um, do you have any other thoughts about the Red Jennies in general, our side character, or um anything else you've talked about? Not really. I'm just really impressed that there was something in Dragon Age 2 I haven't done. <laughs> I'm literally shocked. Y'all just giving me more reasons to play that game now. So you know. Oh now that you're finally finished with Elden Ring. Uh, no, I'm on New Game Plus. I got a whole another playthrough to go through. And then it's Dark Souls time. Okay, well. I'm going to be playing Dark Souls games until Dragon Age 4 comes out. Well, I haven't finished playing the Assassin's Creed series and you've been hogging the Xbox, so you have to learn to share. You just have to ask. Come on. All right. Anyway, yes, I will learn to share. Um, <laughs> but anyway, thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? 
Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always remember... Swooping.